Good morning, church. Come on, isn't it good to be in God's house? Man, praise God. Yeah, let's give him praise one more time. So good, so good. Hey, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate so much those of you that are uh, here for the first time. I'm Pastor Aaron. It's my privilege to lead this church, and you are here for week two of a series based on a word we believe is a word for our church for this year. You can see it on the screen behind me. The word is courage. And last Sunday, it was Vision Sunday, we introduced this word, and, and with that, I, I brought a, a golf ball up on the stage with me. In fact, last weekend, uh, we gave a golf ball to everybody that was in the house, and on it, it says Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, courage, 2024. And I told a story last weekend that the reason I, I brought a golf ball on the stage and the reason I gave one to everyone else is because the first time we stepped foot on the property that we are purchasing for the building of our future location, somebody in a crowd at 10 a.m. say amen. amen. All right. So the first time I walked on that property, before we stepped foot on it, we, we read that verse together as a team. Joshua chapter one, verse three, and the Lord said, I will give you every place that you step your foot. And then we stepped onto that land. Uh, and, and like a memorial stone that the children of Israel took when they were crossing over the dry riverbed of the Jordan, I, I picked up a golf ball out of that field, brought it back to my office and said, this is my stone and that's our land. And the challenge for you last weekend was not really so much about property, but about this reality that in 2024, God has some ground for you to gain, amen? There's some things that he has for you, and you ought to have the confidence and courage that Joshua had to believe that what God said is mine, is mine. Now, after God said that, he had to remind Joshua four different times to have courage, and so that's why these uh, memorials are important. Sometimes we need those reminders. No, no, no. I, God said it. It's going to happen. Didn't happen yet, but his word has never failed. Uh, by the way, if you didn't get one of these last weekend, we got a whole bucket of golf balls out at the info center uh, that say Courage 2024 on it. I'd encourage you to grab one, and you can uh, let that be a reminder to you. Today, I want to invite you to go with me to Judges chapter 6. It's the book right after Joshua, Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. And I want to speak to you about another leader today of God's people. While you're turning to Judges chapter 6, let me give you just a little bit of the setup of what we're turning to. Uh, the first verse of that chapter says that the Israelites, God's chosen people, had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and because of that, he gave them over to the hands of the Midianites for seven years. And, and so the reality that's happening at the beginning of Judges chapter 6 is the Israelites are working in their fields. They're getting ready for harvest season. But every time harvest season comes, their enemy from the east, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and some others, they all, they all come moving in. And they steal the harvest. The Israelites, it says, actually had built like a second home. They built shelters in caves and in crags up in the mountains because they just knew what was going to happen come harvest season. The Bible tells us that when the, uh, the enemy came in, they came in so, so thick that, that they said you couldn't even count the camels when they came in, they, they came in like swarms of locusts, it said. They just devoured the land, took over the whole territory. Finally, you get down to about verse 7, and it says, The Israelites called out to God. It's about time. 
Have you ever felt that way about some folks? You're like, it's about time. I've been watching your life burn for like months. You know, it's about time you call on God. They called on God and they said, we need your help. And then God, God responds in verse nine. And you know what he tells them? He says, I did that. Don't you remember? You were in Egypt. You were slaves and you called on me and I came. I sent Moses, put all the plagues on the bad guys, led you across the Red Sea, drowned the enemy army. You remember that story? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He said, in fact, you remember when you got here and I said, make sure you don't worship the gods of the Amorites, you know, those people over there? Yeah, yeah, you did, you did say that, yeah. And then the Lord says this at the end of verse 10. He says, but you have not listened to me. How many of you know we only got one problem today? <laughs> but you have not listened to me. So with that, let's close in prayer. No, no, seriously, we're, we're gonna go a little deeper, but how many of you know, if we would, I mean, he's never steered you wrong. But God said, you, just, you, you haven't listened to me. Then it says this, and here's where we're gonna pick up the story, verse 11. The angel of the Lord then came and he sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite where his son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So this is where we meet Gideon, and we're gonna trek with him for a little bit this morning. Now, you don't have to know much about harvesting to know that something's wrong with this story. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, now the, the threshing of the wheat happened up on top of the hill. Because they, they would, they would uh, smash the wheat or, or beat the wheat, and then they would take all of it, and they would throw it up in the air, and they would be up on a hill so there was a nice breeze blowing so that all the chaff could blow away and the good grain could fall to the ground. That's, that's how they would thresh the wheat. The wine press was, it was a vat down in the valley. Because who wants to carry grapes up a hill when you know you can have it right here? And, and it was hidden space. So Gideon goes down to a hidden place. He's in a wine press and he's trying to thresh the wheat. So he's beating the wheat and he's throwing it in the air. And of course, everything's just falling down on his head. And he looks like quite the failure in this moment when the Bible says the Lord appears to him right then. Look at verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you don't know anything about Gideon, let, let me tell you, I, I picture him as like the opposite of David. You know, David was the one who with just a sling and a stone, he ran out and he, and he, and he conquered Goliath. I mean, he's a teenager. He's got no experience out there. You know, he's never been on the battlefield like this before, but he's like, so what? I mean, the guy's mocking God. I'll take care of him. I'm good with a slingshot. Just give me a chance. He's just, he's got moxie. You know, he's like, let's go. Let's do this thing. Gideon, not that guy. Total different kind of leader, okay? So whatever you think about, David, think the opposite for a moment. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so when, when God says that, Gideon's not buying it. He's not believing it at all. And, and honestly, I don't know what into the leadership spectrum or life spectrum you put yourself if you would say, well, I'm, 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 I'm a David, you know? I'm, I, I feel pretty confident in my abilities and I'm a go-getter. Or if you feel like Gideon and you're full of apprehension today, but here's what you need to know regardless of where you stand. The task that God calls you to is always gonna be bigger than your ability. 
So if you size yourself up on the tail of the tape and you feel like you've got the goods, well, God's gonna call you to do more than you've got the goods to do. And the reason is because God wants to be glorified through your life. He's not really that concerned with glorifying your life. He wants to be glorified through your life. The Spirit of God, when he calls out to you, he calls out to who he enables you to be, not necessarily who you are. See, the reason Gideon wasn't buying it is because he looked at his own life and he thought, I'm, I'm not a mighty warrior. But what he was seeing was what he has been. What God was seeing is what he will be. And so many people have rejected the call of God out of fear because they can't believe in the potential. Man, there's so much power in a seed. I wish I had time to just talk about that a little bit today. But when God looks at your life, he sees, he sees in fullness what you see in seed form. And he speaks to your potential. And, and Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse five, I love these words, that it emphasizes what the key to our courage is. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says that the key to your fruitfulness, your effectiveness, it's in abiding in me. So, so don't get it twisted here this morning. God doesn't call those that are qualified. He qualifies those he calls. So he speaks to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, maybe you're here today and you, you, are, you say, I am a David. I'm like, you know, I, I've, I'm, I've got a good education. I've got wealth. I've got my health. I've got plenty of opportunity. And, and if that's you, great. We love you. We love your enthusiasm. We love your boldness. But, but let me just kind of timbre that a little bit down and say this to you. The word of God communicates to us in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, even to those that, that have something to be boastful in. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength. Let not the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I'm the Lord, that I exercise kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth for in these I delight. The Lord says, you want to boast about something? Boast about the fact that you're abiding in me. Boast about the fact that you know who I am. So here's the deal. The reason the angel could come to Gideon in a wine press, threshing wheat, and say, mighty warrior. The reason he could say mighty warrior is because first he said, the Lord is with you. That's the condition of our courage. The Lord is with you. But Gideon objects, verse 13, he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know, I would just go on a limb and say, I bet he's not the only one that's asked that question before. You ever got stuck there on the why questions? Come on, like, like a three-year-old at bedtime. Why? 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 Go to bed. Why? If, 
if God is for us and our ancestors told us about all the things he did and God is good, why is everything going wrong? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. He's given us into the hand of the Midianites. That's the tension. We felt it. You felt it before. Like, okay, if God is good and God is with me, then why is it happening? I mean, either God is not good or, or worse, God has, he is good, but he forgot about me. Or maybe worse yet, he, he is good, he hasn't forgotten about me, he just doesn't care. And we spiral. We ought to lean into this conversation because most of us haven't had an opportunity to have a face-to-face like this with Jesus. And I do believe, like many scholars, that this is a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, that, that he shows up, Jesus was, was there in Genesis 1 when God said, let us make man in our image. And, and sometimes he shows up, and this is one of those moments. He responds to Gideon's questions, and, and I love the way he does it. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and he said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you. In other words, he doesn't have a theological debate about why bad things happen to good people. I know a lot of us wish he would. Like, let's just just parse that out. Let's just talk about that. No, he says, hey, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm sending you. And then he says this, Gideon, go in the strength you have. In other words, don't be paralyzed by a feeling of inadequacy. Don't stay in this place of feeling like too much has happened to me too many times and and I'll never be this and I'll I'll never do that. And God says, the strength that's in you, it's enough. Can I remind you, child of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that dwells in you. That's enough. So he says, just dust yourself off, get up off your blessed assurance and Do what I told you to do, or something like that. Verse 15, Gideon responds again with his southern charm. Pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. In other words, when God says, go in the strength you have, he says, what strength? What strength? Again, he's not seeing his potential. So the Lord responds, verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. I want to say it again. That makes all the difference. It was like Moses when when God said, you can have the promised land, but I'm fed up with these people. I'm not going. And Moses said, if you're not going, I'm not going either. I don't want the promised land without the promised giver. And God says to Gideon in this moment, listen, I'm with you. That's all you need to know. It's the same promise he gave to Joshua. We looked at it last week in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is one of our theme verses for the year. I want you to grab this. God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Oh, if we could understand how significant our perception of God's presence is to our outlook on life. 
The Bible says to fear the Lord, to acknowledge the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you recognize the presence of God with you in your life, it changes your outlook on everything. That's why Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, what? Acknowledge him. Recognize God's presence in the place, and he will make your paths straight. Now, honestly, for most of us, I'm just going to speak for you and me. For most of us, if if God showed up like that, I mean, if you had a face-to-face with Jesus and he said, I'm with you. How many of you would say, that's good for, I'm, that's all I need, pastor. That, I'm good with that. Is that enough? I, that's enough for me. I mean, if he shows up and he says, I'm with you, then, then I'm good. I'm gold. Let's do it. But Gideon's afraid. He lacks courage. So you know what he does? He asks for a sign. Now, I, I know none of you have ever done that. If you have, don't admit it now. He's like, God, I... If you could just give me a sign. In fact, the rest of chapter six is Gideon asking God for a sign. That's the problem with asking God for a sign. Like basically you're saying like, God, I trust you. I mean, you sent your son, you died for me. You know, you keep the world spinning on its axis. You're faithful, you're the same God. But if you could just cause a a cardinal to land in my birdbath this morning, (laughs) then I'll know, I'll know you got this, right? Like, I mean, I, I, tr- I trust you, you know, I mean, you, you put oxygen in my lungs. I, I anticipate I'm going to leave this life and spend eternity with you in heaven, but I'm not really sure about my career path right now. So if I could get a double rainbow tonight, like on my drive home from work, if I could get a double rainbow, I would know. I know none of y'all have done that to the Lord, but Gideon did. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, I'm going to make. I'm gonna make an offering. I'm gonna go in the house. I'm gonna make a goat sandwich. And I'm gonna bring it back out here. And I'm gonna put it before you. And if you accept my offering, I'll know you're gonna use me to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And so it's what he does. The Bible says he goes in, he slaughters a goat, and he bakes some bread. And, and then he comes out here and, and he puts it on a rock. And, and then he, it says he took a ladle in the broth. So it was like one of those French dip sandwiches. And he just like, he, he pours it out. On, on the sandwich. And then the Bible says the Lord took the staff in his hand and he stretched out and like a, like a Subway sandwich artist, he said, would you like that toasted? <laughs> and the answer is always yes, right? It's always, of course. And he, he took the tip of his staff and he touched it and the Bible says, a flame consumed the sandwich. Now if the Lord ate your sandwich... Would that be enough? I mean, for me, if the Lord said, I'm with you, and then he comes and sits down and eats my sandwich, I'm good. I'm ready. Let's go. Not for Gideon. (laughs) He wasn't quite ready yet. Wasn't quite sure. So later, the same night, God says, Gideon, I want you to go to your father's house, and I want you to tear down that altar to Baal. 
that false god. And I want you to cut down the Asherah pole that they've been worshiping at. I want you to sacrifice a bull on that altar. And I want you to use the wood from the Asherah pole to burn it up. Because look, if you're gonna go out and you're gonna conquer giants for me and you're gonna be on the front lines and you're gonna go out and fulfill the Great Commission, you gotta deal with the devil in your own house first. I'm gonna let you read between the lines on that one. And so he's like, okay, I, all right, I got, I got you. We're doing this. We're doing this. Look at verse 27. So Gideon, he took 10 of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. <laughs> So here he is, he's still, he's, he's apprehensive, he doesn't have the courage, he's not ready to go out and do the thing, I don't, I'm not ready to do anything publicly for God, I'll, I'll, I'll just be incognito Christian, I'll just, I'll just kind of be stealth mode believer, I will follow Jesus under the radar. People find out about it, they come to the house, they want to know who did this, and, and then Gideon's dad is like, you know, they're ready to crucify him, honestly. And Gideon's dad's like, hey, if Baal is worth worshiping, let Baal contend with him. And so they actually changed Gideon's name. Right there, they said, we're, we're gonna give this guy a new name. This is Jerob Baal, which literally means let Baal contend with him. So now God spoke to him. He said, I'm with you. He toasted his sandwich. I mean, one experience after another with God. Now, he's tore down the the idols and the people are calling the one who fights the gods. I mean, like that's that's gotta be a morale boost. And he's, he's ready, he's ready now. It says in verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. Summoning the Abiyah's rights to follow him. Can I just say, it's amazing what a difference it makes when the Holy Spirit comes on your life. I mean, here's a guy who was timid, he was apprehensive, he's hesitant, but then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and man, he stands up and he takes his shot. He blows his trumpet, he rallies the troops. 32,000 troops gather around Gideon. It's, it's time to go to battle. Now, how many of you, you would say, like, I'm ready. I mean, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm with you. And I didn't even tell you this, but in verse 23 of chapter 6, he said, you're not going to die. I mean, that had to make him feel pretty good about the whole conflict. God toasted his sandwich. The people are now calling him the one who battles with the gods. Now he's got 32,000 troops around him. Come on, I'm like Alexander Hamilton saying, that would be enough. (laughs) But you know what Gideon does? He's like, I tell you what, God, I'll do it. But could you just just confirm one more time? See, that's the problem with, with... testing God. You start testing God, then then you always want to test God. So he says, "Uh, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this fleece from my closet, and I'm going to put it on the rock tonight, and tomorrow morning, if I wake up, and 
and my fleece is soaking wet with dew, but the ground all around it is dry, then I'll know. Then I'll know God wants me to lead the Israelites to defeat the Midianites. Aren't you glad God's gracious? I mean, honestly, at this point, this is just dumb. <laughs> but God's like, okay, okay. And, and sometimes just because he's gracious, he does give us signs and thank God for them. He gets up the next morning and sure enough, his fleece is sopping wet. He picks it up and, and he wrings it out and, and the ground all around it is dry. And it's like, oh my goodness, God actually did it. That's amazing. This is so cool. He's looking at it. He's like, of course, I don't, I don't really know the scientific properties of what happens with dew and the precipitation. And I don't know, maybe that's not an anomaly. Maybe that's the way it was always supposed to happen. You know, on second thought, God, uh, uh, let's try this one more time. But this time, I'm gonna put the fleece out and, and tomorrow when I get up, I want the ground to be wet and I want the fleece to be dry. Could you do that? And one more time, he throws the fleece out and God's so faithful, he's so gracious, he's so compassionate. He does it again. Gives him the opportunity. He gets up the next morning and it's time to finally lead. You get into chapter seven and there's three different types of soldiers that are in Gideon's army. Consequently, there's three different type of Christians in the church. And quickly, I just wanna tell you what those three are. Gideon gets ready at the beginning of chapter seven to assemble the Israelites. 32,000 of them are in position for battle. And by the way, that in itself took some courage because the word tells us there was 132,000 fighting men among the Midianites. So 32,000 Israelites, 132,000 Midianites. Those are not good odds. I'm not good at math, but those aren't good odds. But then, in spite of that, verse 2 says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I think Gideon's like, no, you mean they have too many men. He says, no, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel is gonna boast against me saying my own strength has saved me. He's going, no, 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 those odds are, they're, they're, they're not good. They're not good. You, you have too much of a fighting chance still. You're gonna, you're gonna win the battle and you're gonna take the glory and that's not what I'm doing here in your life. So the custom in Israel was if, if there were any soldiers that were afraid, they would, they would just straight up ask, are you afraid? And if you were afraid, they would send you home. And so that's actually what we see happening here. And so the first type of soldier that we see in the army and, and unfortunately that we see in the church are the cowards, the cowards. And so Gideon simply asked the question the Lord tells him to ask, are you afraid? And 22,000 of them step back from the line. And he sends them home. Can you imagine being in that leadership role? Gideon's thinking, I've been in charge for 10 minutes. And I just lost two-thirds of my army. So now he's standing there. He's got 10,000 men in front of him. Why in the world would God do that? I'll tell you why. Because cowardice is contagious. It's contagious. I mean, one of our core values in this church is atmosphere of faith. 
We believe, we know according to the word of God that, that if, if just two or three of us would gather in his name, if two or three of us would come together and believe that nothing is impossible for them that believe, we know what we can do. We can shift the atmosphere. We can lift people's countenance. You can come in this room on a Sunday morning feeling one way and you can go out feeling a whole lot better. Why? Because we set the temperature on faith. Amen. But can I tell you what else is true? You can set the atmosphere of fear. It doesn't take much. I mean, just 10 spies grumbling caused Israel to go back another 40 years in the wilderness. Ooh, I don't know if we can do it. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. Those giants are big. And the fear swayed the nation, cost a generation. And so God says, if they're afraid... Just send them home. Send them home. I, I just wonder how many of us are missing out on the opportunity to win a spiritual warfare. We're never going to taste the victory, uh, the, the taste of victory, because we're afraid. We're afraid of defeat. I, I, I read a, a great book by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. He said this, Vincent Van Gogh failed as an art dealer flunked his entrance exams to theology school and was fired by the church after an ill-fated attempt at missionary work. In fact, during his life, he seldom experienced anything other than failure as an artist. Although a single painting by Van Gogh would fetch in excess of $100 million today, in his lifetime, Van Gogh sold only one painting four months before his death. He goes on to write that before developing his theory of relativity, Albert Einstein encountered academic failure. One headmaster expelled Einstein from school and another teacher predicted that he would never amount to anything. That theory didn't age well, did it? Einstein even failed his entrance exam into college. Prior to Dazzling the world with his athletic skills, Michael Jordan was famously cut for, from his sophomore basketball team. Even though he captured six championships during his professional career, Jordan missed over 12,000 shots, lost nearly 400 games, and failed to make more than 25 would-be game-winning shots. But failure didn't stop Van Gogh from painting, Albert Einstein from theorizing, or Michael Jordan from playing basketball. But it has paralyzed countless leaders and prevented them from reaching their potential. At some point, all great achievers are tempted to believe they're failures. But in spite of that, they persevere. In the face of adversity, shortcomings, and rejection, they hold on to self-belief and they refuse to see themselves as Failures. What I want to say to you today is when you obey God, your failure isn't final. I can't guarantee you won't fail, but I can guarantee when you're serving the Lord, your failure isn't final. God's called us to do extraordinary exploits for him. Don't be among the cowards who, who never get to experience it. And here's the difference. The cowards, they actually look like everybody else in base camp. I mean, there's 32,000 strong. Like, we got a shot. We, this could work. I mean, we could do this. 
Because when you're counting on men, you count heads. But when you're counting on God, you know it's the heart that counts. And while man's looking at the outside, God's looking at the heart. And so God says, just tell the cowards they can leave. And here's the thing, he he doesn't strip their citizenship away. He doesn't execute them. He literally just says, hey, you you can go home. Wait at the house. We're going to get this done. Go home. And we have to realize that there are some people that are just not going to answer the call. Maybe you're a person that you've, you've never felt like, I'm, I'm one of those people that can answer the call. I'm, I'm one of those frontline believers. I, I'm gonna do something great for God. Can I encourage you, don't disqualify yourself because you're looking at the seed form of what God sees as the fullness of your potential. The second group is the careless ones. Look at verse four, the careless. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Like, are you serious? Still too many? We went from 32,000 to 22,000 in a hot minute, and there's still too many? And God says, take them down to the water, and I'll thin them out for you there. And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one should not go with you, he shall not go. A lot of times, like Gideon, we look at things in the natural and we think, oh, we don't have enough to pull this off. I think uh, Vance Havner was right when he said, no, your problem is you got too many of the kind you got. (laughs) And so because God's looking at the heart, he says, thank you for doing what you did. Now I'm I'm gonna judge the heart. I want you to send them down. And so all the men, they they all go down and they, they go to get a drink of water and Most of them, I mean, you know, it's hot. They got all this military gear on. They just get all the way down, and just like a camel in the Sahara, they just suck water straight out of the stream. I mean, just face in the water. They're just slurping away. They're going to town. Like 9,700 of them just sucking water right out of the stream. 300 of them, though, they, they, they kept their head up. They just reach down and they cup the water like this and they're lapping it like a dog out of their hand. And and God sees that. He says, 9,700 of them don't realize what this is. This is war. There's 132,000 on the other side. Like this is a battle. In the vast majority, I would say, not only in his army, but in God's army today, are, are just, man, we're just here for it. You know, we're just kind of going through the motions. We're doing the thing. I'm on the team. I got the jersey. I got the fish on the back of my car. And we're just kind of sucking carpet, you know. And God's going, this is war. Like 1 Peter 5, 8 says, hey, be vigilant, be sober-minded because the devil, your adversary, he roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And God sees 9,700 careless soldiers and he goes, I want the 300 that are paying attention. That's who I want. So Gideon sends all, all the rest home. And the Lord says in Judges 7 and 7 to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. I love this statement that John Wesley said. He was a, uh, an evangelist in the 1700s and the founder of the Methodist Church. He said, give me 100 preachers 
who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Isn't that great? They just give me a hundred men that mean business. That's all, that's all we need. Careless people, they just, they just follow the crowd. I wonder how many of those guys just drank that way because everybody else was drinking that way. They missed out, but Joshua 23, 11 says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. Be careful to love the Lord your God. 1 Corinthians 10 says, so if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul said to the church in Ephesus chapter five, be very careful then how you live. That's the application for us today. We're not going into war this morning, but spiritually, he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Have you noticed that? Have you seen the news? The days are evil. He says, get your eyes up. Pay attention. Watch. The real danger is not that you don't get chosen for some special ministry. The real danger is that, that you lose touch with God. Not that you don't choose God, but that God doesn't choose you. Because the first crew, they, they were picked by Gideon. He said, if you're afraid, you, you, you just say so. And they said so, and they got to leave. The rest, God said, I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick the team this time. And they had no idea. And God just said, no, 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 they're, they're careless about the assignment. They don't understand why they're here. He doesn't use the careless. He doesn't use them because they fail the stewardship test. Like everything you have, your time, your talent, your treasure, your opportunity, your relationships, God's given you that for a reason, like a, 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 an eternal reason. Something that has far more significance than, than your occupation or, or your income or any of those things. And he says, I, I can't use the careless ones. They're just, they're just, they're not paying attention. They don't even see what this is about. They don't even know why they're here. Let me tell you quickly who the third group is. After the cowards walk out and the careless are passed over, there's the committed. There's 300. Verse eight says, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. Isn't it amazing? I mean, you think 300 people were about to go to war against 132,000? But I learned a long, long time ago, friends, God doesn't need much to do much. He doesn't need much to do much. He'll pass over the cowards who refuse to stand in their ranks He'll pass over the careless Christians who just aren't serious about his mission and he'll find a committed few. He always has a remnant people. He said it to Elijah. When Elijah said, I'm the only one serving you, God says, you don't even know about the 7,000 faithful ones I have over here. He always has a remnant people. And with those few, he'll change the world. Can I just say, God is still looking for a faithful few today. He's looking for a faithful few. I don't know about you this morning, but I know what group I want to be in. In case you don't know the story, let me just 
skip to the ending and tell you what happened. Judges chapter seven, verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and they smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now, that's an exceptional story. But let me tell you what's not exceptional about Gideon's story. It's the battle that he had to find courage. I think we can all relate to that part of the story. What I want you to hear today as we get ready to close this service in the next few moments is that the, the Spirit of the Lord is standing before you. And he's declaring today, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's with you, mighty warrior. And I wanna challenge you, don't let the internal fears or, or, or inadequacies that you face or the external battles that you've been through disqualify you from hearing his call. Don't talk yourself out of the purpose that he has for your life. Recognize his presence. Recognize that if he's called you mighty, it's because he said, I'm with you. Because without him, you can do nothing. Recognize his presence in your life. There's nothing more important for you to do than to have an awareness and an awe of the presence of God in your life. As you stand, I, I want to read Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 together again today. Let's put this one on the screen. The Lord said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He's with you. Don't be among the cowards that just walk away. Don't be the careless who miss their opportunity. Be the committed ones. Be the courageous ones who get to see God do miracles. And stop waiting for a sign. Come on. Well, I'll do it if he, I'll, I'll do it if, if somebody asked me about Jesus at the grocery store today. Is it not enough that he made the sun rise over the horizon this morning? I mean, come on. Is it not enough that you still are breathing oxygen? Right now, and he carried you this far. His mercies have been this good, and you're going to come back with, well, you know, if, if, if I get only green lights on my way home from church today, then I'll know the Lord wants. Stop asking for a sign. He's the same God. He always was. He always will be. Father, today, we thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you that we can respond to the voice of the Lord saying, I am with you. Would you just by faith tonight, today receive that word? I am with you. You're a mighty warrior. You have, you have potential. You have purpose. You have destiny on your life. 
I'm well aware of what happened to you. I'm well aware of what you're feeling. I'm, I'm well aware of the struggles internally and externally, but I'm the eternal one. I am the Lord that goes before you. I'm with you. You're a mighty warrior. God, give us the courage to fear nothing but sin. Desire nothing but God and shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven in the earth. God, make us a people full of courage today. We take our stand by faith. We take courage today. Our confidence is in you. Come on, let's just take a few more moments before we...